This morning, we're going to kick off our Advent series, and it's titled The King's Carols. If you've been with us for a number of months, you know that we've been in 1 Samuel, really focusing on the way in which the kingdom was ushered in. It's all pointing to the one true king, which is Jesus. So during this Advent season, we're going to be looking at Christmas carols and Advent hymns that focus on the kingship of Christ upon his kingdom. And this morning, we'll be looking at angels we have heard on high. As we do so, you're, there's phrases that you're very familiar with that we hope will come alive. We're not going to be exegeting a, a hymn. We're going to be exegeting the word of God. That's our foundation. But you'll see the way in which God used hymn writers and those who write tunes to create these things that the church has used for a long time to believe in the truths that are in the word of God. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. This is the narrative of when the shepherds appeared, or the angels appeared to the shepherds. Verse 8, chapter 2 of Luke. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, let's say this together, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this night where the shepherds were doing the work that they had been called to do, this task of caring for the sheep humble shepherds, and there appeared this angel and then this multitude of angels. Lord, would you cause us to look up now? Would you remove whatever is distracting us, whatever might cause our ears to be clouded, our eyes to be clouded? Lord, us to not think rightly or feel correctly and do that work, Holy Spirit, which only you can do. Take us to Bethlehem that we might see again our Savior, Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. Well, we have come a long way as a people in announcing the birth of a child. One of the things I love about pastoring this church is that the generations are represented. Not every church has that privilege, but we do. Even in our new membership class, you see the generations that are present, and that's a gift. What that means, though, is that there are men who are in our congregation 
who weren't in the room when their children were born. They were in the waiting room, like all men were at that time. And somebody walked out the door and said, it's a boy or it's a girl. If he was prepared, he had cigars or maybe bubblegum cigars. If it was a boy blue, if it was a girl pink, and they celebrated. But we've come a long way from that. Today, baby showers include all sorts of things. If you don't believe me, simply look up birth announcement. I did because I was curious, not because our, my wife is expecting number six. And that would be a miracle. And I saw instantly this thing pop up, 72 ways to creatively announce the birth of your child. It was on a website called thebump.com or .org. And I thought about that. What, what do you need to do? Well, you've got to pick who you're going to send it to. You've got to declare how you want to say it. But so much more now. 72 ways or more. Just keep scrolling down. Now there's this thing called gender reveal where the husband and the wife might not even know what the sex of the baby is, but somebody does, a close friend or family member. And so at a reception, at a party, a celebration, something will explode and it explodes with confetti. And if the confetti is pink, they are revealed as it cascades down that they're having a girl. If it's blue and it cascades down, they're having a boy. If it's pink and blue, they faint. They're surprised. It's twins. That's what happens. It's such a big deal. And I think it's neat, I guess. But from all eternity, God knew how he would announce the birth of his son. From all eternity, God knew how he was going to announce the birth of Jesus. Here's what that means. As these shepherds who would hear the angel's voice and then hear the multitude sing, as they were being knit together in their mother's womb, he knew that these would be the ones watching their flocks at night that the angel would come to, and these would be the one that would hear their voices when they sang glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. God knew from the beginning how he was going to announce the birth of his Savior. Angels we have heard on high is a carol. It's not an Advent carol. It is a Christmas carol. It focuses on the promise of, of the nativity of what has happened. It tells the story of these shepherds appearing to the angels. I want you to go ahead and open your hymnal to hymn number 214. When we think about angels we have heard on high and we study it, we realize that nobody knows who wrote it. It's been in the church a long, long time. But it wasn't put to print until 19, or I'm sorry, 1855. And that was in French. But texts tell us that it was easily sung for 50 years prior to that before it ever went to print. They believe that a priest, perhaps a monk, wrote this early on in the history of the church. And it really was a chant. And the chant was to center people's attention upon the glory of God. The translated verse into English was done by James Chadwick. He was a priest modern arrangement that we sing today and will sing at the end of this service has a tune that was arranged by Edwin S. Barnes, who was an organist. He served in two churches in New York, an Episcopal church in Philadelphia, 
and later served at First Presbyterian Church in Santa Monica, California. This hymn begins by telling the story. Look with me at the first stanza. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply echo back their joyous strain. So for a moment, look up. Imagine what it was like for these shepherds. One, to see an angel to begin with. And when this one angel began to speak, the first thing he says is, don't fear. It was a terrifying reality for them as they cared for these sheep. And then all of a sudden, the text tells us, suddenly the angel, this choir of angels broke out in song. What did that sound like? You've heard, even in this church, the voice, voices of, of men and women who sing so beautifully. In fact, there's probably been a moment when you said to them or the person sitting next to you, she is the voice of an angel or he has the voice of an angel. That's actually not true. No matter how beautiful it is, it's still a voice that is a flesh. It is not an angelic voice. What did it sound like to hear these angels who had been created for this very moment, waiting for this very moment, waiting for this very moment when God himself would announce the birth of his child. What was it like for these shepherds to hear that incredible sound? Glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. We read these words and sing these words which describe in verse two, the shepherds, why this jubilee? It's a question. Why your joyous strain prolong? Say what may the tidings be which inspire your heavenly song. The angels were singing, and we believe the shepherds upon returning from seeing Jesus are also singing. But what stands out in this carol is the refrain. Gloria in excelsis Deo, repeated over and over again. We're repeating what the angels were singing. Glory to God in the highest. That's what that means. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. David and Barbara Lehman, who this morning assisted in our worship. Barbara was leading the children's choir. David was on piano. They're in our choir. Members of our church. Years ago, put together a student hymnal for Providence Christian School. We have them in our bookstore, they're wonderful. What they do is they take a hymn and they put the music there in print for you. And then on the left side of the page, it tells the story. Well, this Advent season, they've done the same with Christmas carols and Advent hymns. It's really beautiful. And here we have angels we have heard on high and on this side, a description of some of the things I've shared with you already. They're in our bookstore if you're interested. They're really a beautiful, beautiful uh, resource for us as the church. David wrote something in this, and I didn't tell him I was gonna do this, but he heard it in the last hour. It's a sentence that he wrote that has captured my attention during this Advent season. This is what he wrote. The cascading melody in the refrain imitates the growing host of angels over the shepherd's field. Let me read that again is we sing Gloria in Excelsis Deo over and over again, he says this cascading melody in the refrain imitates the growing host of angels over the shepherd's field. I want you to think for a moment about that 
phrase cascading melody. Cascading means to, to overflow, like a waterfall coming. It's something that just continues to pour out and pour over. And that is what is happening as we sing this song. Songwriters and those who put these tunes together paid attention not only to the words, but also to the context of the words and what they mean. That's why in singing this and other Christmas carols like Joy to the World, you'll see this measure of how we sing and it goes down. Well, there's a reason for that. It's representing the God who himself sent his son who came down. Love came down. And so when we sing these tunes, in this particular case, this cascading melody, it reminds us of the glory of God coming down. It comes to us in an angel who speaks to the shepherd and then to a multitude of angels who continue to cascade down the glory of God. This is an amazing picture for us. And it's seen right here in Luke 2 with the shepherds. Look with me at their life for a minute. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them, the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. This is significant. The announcement that these angels brought, the one angel speaking, and then the multitude of angels declaring the glory of God was more than an incredible announcement. It was an irresistible invitation. It was more than an incredible announcement. It was an irresistible invitation. These shepherds scared initially are overwhelmed by what they see and what they hear. And then once those angels leave, even that thought's amazing. They're looking in the sky and then they're looking at one another. And one of the shepherds says, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. So what do the angels do? They go. And when they get there, Luke tells us, that they see the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. What a witness for us. This hymn says, come to Bethlehem and see. The shepherds went. And when they went and saw, they made known to those around them, those they saw, what had been told them by the shepherd and the multitude of angels. The angel spoke, the shepherds listened. Upon hearing, they went. And when they got there, they spoke about it. My friends, that's the way it should be for us. Sunday after Sunday, day after day, opening the word of God. When the Lord shows us things about himself, it shouldn't be just to make us more knowledgeable. It shouldn't be just to make us smarter Christians. But the good news so compelling that we think about those he's placed around us that we might have the very voice to say, this is who Jesus is. This is why he came. This is what his word reveals. The shepherds did that. They went, they saw, they spoke. And then Luke tells us in verse 20 that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, that's what it should be like for us. You have been told this is more than an announcement. You have been given an invitation, an irresistible invitation. And you, when you respond to that irresistible, cascading grace of God, it goes deep into your heart and it's so good and so true that you know others need to hear it. 
And as you speak to others about the wonder of the gospel, you know that it's also about worshiping him. So they return glorifying and worshiping God. So this Advent season, I really want us to hear the invitation. I want us to hear the invitation of the third stanza of angels we have heard on high. Come to Bethlehem and see. When we repeat this chorus over and over again, glory to God in the highest, something really significant happens. You remember your purpose. We teach our children, and the sanctuary in the last hour was flooded with them, wall to wall, front to back. We teach our children to answer a specific question a specific way. And the question is old. It comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The question is this. What is the chief end of man? And the answer, if you know it, say it. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. In the last hour, a little guy was sitting right there. I took my mic off. I actually broke it, put it in front of his mouth, and I said, what is the chief end of man? And he said, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's the right answer. If that's the chief end of man, that's the chief end of Christmas. If that's the chief end of man, it's the chief reason why you were woken today. If that's the chief end of man, to glorify God, then the reason you will go to sleep tonight and wake in the morning and go to wherever it is he's called you to work is to bring him glory. The reason you will shake a person's hand tomorrow welcoming them or meeting them or introducing yourself to them is to bring them glory. The reason you will do anything and everything, not only tomorrow, but every day until he calls you home is to bring him glory and then forever. Glory to God in the highest is the chief end of man. And every time we gather this afternoon for the children's Advent service, in two weeks for the concert, on Saturday for Boxes of Blessing. It's all to bring him glory and enjoy him forever. If you ever wonder, what is my purpose as a young mom? What is my purpose as a dad? What is my purpose now as a widow or a widower? What is my purpose as a single adult? What is my purpose as somebody who's figuring out when to retire? It's to bring God glory and enjoy him forever. Come to Bethlehem and see that's why Christ came. Some of you have been to Bethlehem. I went to Bethlehem for the first time this last summer. We get to spend about two weeks over there as a family with a number of other families. What a gift. But I will tell you that Bethlehem was the low point for me and the high point. First, the low point. Seeing the place where Jesus walked, floating on the water that he walked on, riding in a boat on the water on the storms he calmed, seeing the places where he proclaimed the truth and taught parables, seeing the place where he restored Peter on the shoreline is really a remarkable thing and a remarkable gift. And so much anticipation fills your heart as you think about seeing the place where they think he was born. But I want to tell you that for me and many on our trip, I think, that was a really interesting and dark experience in some ways. 
Here's why. Our bus moves towards the border of where we have to leave Israel to go into a different occupied territory. Armed vehicles, soldiers with weapons, all present. The bus stops. Our tour guide has to get off. She's not allowed over there. A new tour guide comes on as we cross over. He then leads us, and he's wonderful on this journey. But as soon as we cross the border, you could just sense the conflict. You could sense the wars. You could sense the poverty. You could see it. You could smell it. You could see the chaos. And all of a sudden, you're navigating through these winding streets, and you come to a place called the Church of the Nativity, and then you get off. And as you get off, there are buses of people all around you who are on the same pilgrimage you're on. And you begin to make your way through this line of people into this place. And when you walk in, you see religion everywhere. You see religious tracts and you smell incense. You see ornate things everywhere. Really, in some ways, the best man can do to recognize or say, this is sacred. And as I'm walking through this place, a little bit lost, a little bit dizzy, feeling almost nauseous, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by the cascading things hanging everywhere and overwhelmed by the cascading line that I have to wait in for a long time before I can get to the place where they say, we think this is it. And there is a hole in the ground that you look through covered and you have about 15 seconds to consider what might have happened in this exact location. And so I walked out, and I literally was a mess. I was dizzy, I felt nauseous, and I needed to be alone. And so I just stepped aside. Buildings everywhere, people everywhere, but I was still alone. And then I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's not an audible voice, but as a believer, I know his voice. And he simply said, this is why he had to come. The wars outside and within, the poverty all around you and within, man's hatred for one another outside and within, that's why I had to come. It is a really dark world. And in the darkness, you see all that I just described, as well as the darkness of religion with people trying to earn their way to God. It was too much. And as I sat there looking all around at everything I could see, I sensed the Holy Spirit say, look up. All that around you is different than it was the day in which the Savior was born. But look up. This sky is the same sky. It is the exact sky that the angels appeared in to those shepherds. There's nothing that's changed about this sky. It is the same as it was 2,000 plus years ago when that angel spoke to the shepherds and then the multitude of angels filled the sky further than you could see. This is the same sky. And as I looked up, the noise and the distraction And what had been a low point for me in that moment was replaced with one of the greatest moments of my life, staring up at a location where this historical event took place. Jesus 
had to come. He had to come because of sin. He had to come because of the impact of sin on the world. Darkness, poverty, injustice, shame, guilt, broken relationships, all of it. And Jesus came for the purpose of reconciling us to the one who made us for all eternity. That's why he came. The cascading glory of God revealed to the shepherds took them to a place, a low place on earth, where the Savior, Redeemer, King was born. This man, or this baby, would grow into a man. At 30 years of age, Jesus would begin his ministry, and he would faithfully, perfectly live the life that we could never live, tempted beyond what we can even imagine. The word tells us he never sinned. In order to accomplish what he came for, to bring God the Father glory, to redeem the people, his, his people, Jesus was going to hear another song. He was going to hear a cascading chorus of people who were lining a street as he rode in on a donkey. And they were cascading with this chorus singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But just a short while later, those with that cascading carol would move to a cascading shout. And the shout was, crucify him, crucify him. And the baby that the angels declared had been born had grown into a man who was bringing God glory by going to the very place that was necessary, the place where the cascading wrath of the Holy Father will be poured out on him instead of on you, instead of on me. And Jesus took it. He cries out, to his father and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when all that was necessary for that perfect wrath to be poured out on Jesus, to cascade upon Jesus, he says, it is finished. And he breathes his last. He dies. Jesus is taken from the cross and put in a tomb. We know the story, we celebrated Easter, that Jesus conquers death as he's raised from the dead. Jesus walked upon the earth a little while longer, and then the disciples witnessed him ascend into the sky. And now Jesus, our incredible king, sits, living to intercede to pray for us, and then there will be a moment when the Father says now and the cascading glory of Jesus is going to return to this earth. And coming from the sky with an announcement, Jesus is going to be present. His cascading glory is going to overwhelm the earth. And the word of God tells us that every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, my friends, 
what I'm declaring to you today is not just an announcement. It is an irresistible invitation for all who belong to him. Have you received him? This is the message of Christmas. It's for his glory and for our joy. May the cascading grace and glory of God overwhelm us this season. Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for doing everything that was necessary that we might live. Holy Spirit, thank you for illuminating our hearts. And God, if there would be anyone this morning who has never received you, who has never really responded to your invitation to eternal life, would you save them now? Would you reveal to them yourself, enabling them to pray the sinner's prayer, asking, Lord, for you and you alone to give them salvation? If that's you this morning, tell somebody that is around you that you came with or come and see me or one of our pastors. Lord, for those who have made that decision, who have received you in the past, who've responded to your invitation, would you cause us to look up? Would you cause us to not be focused on the brokenness that's all around us, but to look up and anticipate the day when we will see you face to face? Give us hope in whatever we're facing. Give us encouragement, Lord Jesus, that you are God. Give us the hope that you are reigning as king. And as we close in singing, Lord, would you protect us from this being too familiar? And as we sing glory to God in the highest, would you cause that scale to go up and up that we might rejoice that you, Savior Jesus, our love come down. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.